Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Is there a doctor in the house? Well, as it happens, yes, yes, there is. A doctor of women's surrealists, the lovely Sabina Stent, is with us today. A freelance writer specializing in, well, of course, women's surrealists, but also visual culture, art, couture, movies, and old Hollywood. Her bylines include Magnum Photos, Crime Reads, and in other magazine, among others. Additionally, Sabina is a contributing editor at MAI Journal as well. Welcome, Sabina. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for doing this. How are you doing? And how how was your summer? And how's fall shaping up? Hi, Jen. Wow, that is the <laughs> best intro I've ever had. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of your work and the podcast. So this is such a a lovely um, beginning of of autumn of of your of fall, really. Um, so thank you. Thank, thank you. you. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. How's your how's your summer being? You know, it, it flew by as we were talking off air. It yeah. seems like time just kind of goes by so quickly, especially towards the end of the week as we were talking about. But this summer in particular just really was like here and gone. So yeah, hopefully fall will slow down a little bit for us, but doing well. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I don't know if it's something about you know the the years we've had this yes. pandemic that time has been so strange lately it so, really has <laughs> and I I think that's kind of time talking about time is is something quite nice a nice segue into yeah. the films that we'll, we'll be going into today as well absolutely well when we were thinking of potential theme ideas I was immediately psyched when one of the topics you suggested involved something we had bonded over way back when on Twitter, namely John Milner, played by Paul Lamatt in American Graffiti. You knew that somehow that movie would have to be involved, and I was so excited. And you started suggesting other great coming-of-age or coming-of-middle-age rock and roll-filled hangout movies. I think between the two of us, we started referencing everything from Almost Famous to High Fidelity, Empire Records, St. Almost Fire, The Big Chill, and more. But while the sky is most definitely the limit here, and I'm pretty sure we'll be citing all of these and more, we thought it'd be best maybe to focus primarily on three, including American Graffiti, Dazed and Confused, and Reality Bites, these kind of iconic representations of their eras and the generations they're depicting, whether it's more aspirational or authentic, they're films to be remembered. And while we'll dive into each in a minute before we do that, I would love to know what it is about this genre of generational soundtrack movies, if there is such a genre, of course, and what is it that you respond to in these as a film fan? I think with American Graffiti, I just love that era and I love the music and I just love that whole, inter- uh, 
aesthetic, if you want to say, in terms of yes. culture, in terms of how it looks. I just love the cars. I love the characters. I used to love Happy Days when I was younger, and I used to love watching Happy Days. And then uh-huh. my my dad actually said, "You need to watch this film." And I was quite young at the time, so I watched I watched this film, and I was like, "Yes, this is exactly." The film. It's just the perfect film, and I. It's probably. I don't know. I don't like to rank favorites as a. My like top ten films, but I would say this is in my top three if I had to rank favorite gotcha. films. Oh, because I just think it's a, I just think it's everything about it. It's lightning in a bottle, really. Is you're not going to have a film this kind of, just the feel of it. It has it has a, a theme to it in in some ways um, that I think a lot of films strive to achieve, but I don't think they do achieve. I just no. think it's. I just think it's something about the I, the cast and the era and when it was made, um, and also at the time there were no, there wasn't like a big budget. If you know, it was made. No, something like seven hundred thousand dollars, something like that. Yes, yeah. It, it was, was like seven, it, seven, seven, which I always thought was yeah. really funny. Yes, <laughs> and it's. And I think it, I think the last time I checked, um, it was a couple of years ago. But in 2019, it grossed something like 391 million. <laughs> I know, that. and they weren't even counting like merchandising, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, so who knows? The, yeah, and like like at the at the time, I think when they after they filmed it, um, no one wanted John Milner's car. Can That's you believe insane. that? Yeah. No one I think I think obviously now it's a collector's item because you think who wouldn't want that car that car is just the best car yeah um and it's become such a, a cultural milestone that film and it's I think everything about it is just it's just it's a magical film if we if we want to be like if I want to be cliche and say oh this film no, is magical. I think it is magical perfect. it is I think it's just the most wonderful film and it when you watch it you you just feel something you do and I love so much that your dad introduced you to it because it was the same thing I think I was maybe like 11 or 12 and my dad introduced it to me and my brother as well and then it became a thing like our entire family would watch sort of at the end of summer because it's the right time for it like every year I mean we watched it more than that but especially around this time of year like end of summer transitioning to fall there's something beautiful about American graffiti so I think this is a perfect one to start on whether we're going chronologically by when the films are set or when they were made the first film for us yes is that one that inspired today's chat and a number of other films that followed that we'll be referencing today We're talking about, of course, the 1973 coming-of-age, end-of-summer-set dramedy, American Graffiti, which is set in 1962, produced by Francis Ford Coppola and directed by George Lucas, who co-wrote the film with Willard Hike and Gloria Katz. American Graffiti, which is set in Modesto, California, follows a night in the light of a group of teenagers, two early 20-somethings, as two, played by Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfus, get ready to leave for college the next morning. 
cruising the strip, getting in trouble, falling in and out of love and more. Over the course of the evening, we get drawn into their lives and problems and find ourselves so caught up in the characters embodied by this extraordinary ensemble, also including Harrison Ford, Cindy Williams, Charles Martin Smith, Mackenzie Phillips, Candy Clark, Kathleen Quinlan, and more that when the film ends with an epilogue stating what happened to a handful of the leads, it's hard not to be affected by the information that is presented, featuring what I seriously consider to be the best soundtrack of all time. Uh, the film is wall-to-wall music, after all. It's also filled with amazing cars and more depth than you might imagine going in. American Graffiti has always been one of my all-time favorite films, too, and I know you love it. So let's talk more about American Graffiti. Yeah. So do you remember your dad introduced you? Were you also like a preteen as well? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I was preteen. Um, yeah. I mean, music's always been a big part of like my sort of family in my childhood um and as well like car fans and um yeah same yeah I mean like if you if you would I mean a lot of people who who've if you know me and if you were to meet my father I mean the apple doesn't fall far from the tree (laughs) (laughs) so many so many respects so um my dad's a fan of old Hollywood and he loves James Dean. So I think that whole kind of James Dean, um, sort of Paula Matt's obviously John Milner's, he is like a, a James Dean character in a way. Yeah. He's presented even his cigarettes, you know, yes. rolled up in his sleeve and his hairstyle. Um, and he's a, you know, I don't want to use the word boy racer, but he is a driver. He's a car fanatic. He works mm-hmm. in the garage. Um, you were saying about the the coda at the end, that epilogue, that when you watch the film and you, you watch how it ends and then that flashes up and I don't I don't want to spoil anything. No, but, but it's like devastating. Your stomach, yes. Yeah, your stomach kind of drops out, especially if we're thinking about, you know, James Dean as well as yeah. like being, you know, Milner's kind of based on, on him to some extent. I watched, um, I remember watching American Graffiti in the, the, at the Prince Charles Cinema in London a, a, quite a four or five years ago. Uh-huh. And they didn't include the, the, the epilogue. Oh, they, my gosh. It just, it just ended where, with Kurt on the plane. And I, and I turned around and I said, what happened to the epilogue? And, you know, my, wow. and the friend who was next to me was like, well, what are you talking about? I was like, there was totally an epilogue different. at the end. Yeah. And I was like, you're not under, you're not getting the the whole um the, the main effect of the film because then you you watch it, they have this night that things happen and things yeah. either, you know, a lot happens on this night, and it, this night changes so much. Um and then you obviously you have this, you know, the way it, you know, the way it ends, and then to not have this epilogue, it it makes the film seem flat in a way and mm-hmm. not not necessarily flat but it just makes the ending affect you in a completely different way because you think oh that's it okay um you know Kurt you know I don't want to spoil anything but Kurt goes you know leaves for uni um mm-hmm. and to not 
see what happened to him and to Terry and to John and to Steve is just kind of, huh? That, that's yeah. it. It really does. I mean, it's perfect for the film, which is kind of about a loss of innocence. It's set, of course, right before uh, we went to, into Vietnam, before the hippie era, as George Lucas was saying, like this was his era, how like the mating ritual of America, he was realizing when he was an anthropology student, like this is a uniquely American phenomenon of cruising. And then it kind of went out of style towards the end of the 60s. But this is definitely a loss of innocence. And so when it cuts ahead, um, yeah, it, I know it divided some audiences. Actually, Gloria Katz and Willard Hike were wondering why that was there. They also didn't know why the women weren't represented. But it kind of, I think it's indicative of the time, um, which was more focused on the males and also probably George Lucas's persona and what he wanted to focus on. Um, I would have liked to have known obviously what happened to the women as well, but you know, you get that impact and it's so perfect for the film and what it was trying to say about masculinity and what happened with these guys that I think it really works. But yeah, I talked to my parents who remembered seeing this in the theater. It was when they actually, um, I think they were first married or it was around that time and they went with another couple and they were enjoying the film. And then when that happened, it was just like a complete, you know, drop kick. Essentially, they were just uh, shocked. And my dad likened it to Easy Rider, like the end of that movie, which is another movie that uses, you know, rock and roll throughout instead of a traditional score. And these films at the time were commenting on stuff going on, but doing it through the guise of this coming of age storytelling or this like adventure set in a small period of time. And yeah, it's really just a special film. So I, th yeah. I think it's also really um, works well, that this whole film is driven by music, you know, it opens yes. with rock around the clock, every kind of <laughs> segue is into a new song and a new scene. It's so every scene linked by a different music and if you have I don't know if you've got the soundtrack but you have yes. Man Jack linking the songs together so you're listening to yeah. a radio show and everything in this film is linked by music and then that last scene is no like after Goodnight Sweetheart plays yeah um there's no music and it's yeah. like the music stopped and it's like okay this is over now this is this this period is gone Yep. And it's it's really kind of it's I'm not saying it's jarring, but it, it's quite impactful the way this the music just starts towards, you know, right at the end, especially yeah. when it tells you what's happened to the, the four the four the four guys. Um but um have you seen the sequel? Another is it more American graffiti? I did years ago and I really yeah, disliked too. it. And then I just yeah, never I, watched it again. Say, well, I didn't know if I really disliked it. I was like, it's okay. But yeah, yeah it kind of derailed. I think it, it takes away from this one. And I think yeah. it takes away from the ending. It really um, did, if I remember. I should watch yeah. it again, though. I probably should have watched think, it for this episode. I, Oops. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I haven't watched it for about, you know, since the first time I saw it. Um, yeah. But I, I think it soils the, that kind of 
it does um, yeah the effect of this one and the and the uh the aura of this one because there's you know obviously this film is so um unique well not I, it's unique and it set a precedent for so many other films that tried to replicate it and you know in in some ways you know took took elements of of it but i do i don't think the sequel works um i think it's it's fine it's a fine thing but it doesn't have that impact in the least um and also there are certain people missing (laughs) because (laughs) they want to you know bigger things um i can't even remember who directed the sequel i don't think it was george lucas um no i don't believe so but i think it's you know it's it's something if you know if it was on you know there's no harm in watching it but i think it you don't need to watch it because this this film just stands alone as as what it Mm -hmm. is um i just i love um because obviously when when they made it you had um you know ron howard he'd already done the pilot for happy days and he made Mm -hmm. so he did the pilot and he made as he was making this i think at the time or they, they'd already got green lit for happy days so then after this he went and did happy days but i think it's a it's um interesting to compare like steve <laughs> to Richard <laughs> because they're quite different they <laughs> are yeah and it's and um obviously richard dreyfus i think richard i really like richard dreyfus character kurt i think me too i yes. love him i think he's really nice um i think he's more kind of a Richie Cunningham-esque but not quite so he just has that yeah. kind of sweetness to him um but yeah I I think Steve is mm, yeah he's not the <laughs> not you know he has some he has some good qualities but he's not the uh the the kind of <laughs> the, the, the nicest yeah. character to his girlfriend to the words um to Laurie yeah I read that they um were because they knew what happened to their characters they were letting that inform the parts um or inform yeah how they were playing each role and so Rod Howard talked about that because I knew what happened to him I was playing in a certain way especially in those um relationship scenes when he's kind of like negotiating or trying to figure out do we see other people or what's going to happen so I thought that was really interesting. You talked about the music. I love the use of diegetic music throughout and the impact, what you were saying when the when the music drops out there at the end. There's only like a couple scenes where that happens earlier on. Um, like when Toad, um, Charles Martin Smith's character and Candy Clark get lost and he's like worried <laughs> about the goat killer. They kind of turn it into a, sort of a jokey horror movie for a minute and take the music away, which makes it startling. Um, And so he was using where you would normally have score uh, with silence. And it was suddenly giving the film a new layer because it's like, wait a minute, where's that uh, score? or Where's the soundtrack? I love that Walter Murch worked on it. So it does really cool things like uh, you hear um a song in the tinny speakers of a car and then you know kurt gets out after he embarrasses um an ex-girlfriend's friend and he's like pushed out of the car and then as he's running or whatever you hear um the song being played um it's just wonderful what they do yeah 
I like when um, Kurt kind of gets semi-recruited by the pharaohs. the pharaohs oh my gosh I love the lead guy for the pharaohs yes, yes. It's like, I know what you want you want to join the pharaohs you, you want the blood initiation yeah yes Bo Hopkins was so good as the, <laughs> the lead pharaoh oh my goodness I love his laugh too his like nervous I Richard Dreyfus has one of my favorite laughs ever. It's like a weird thing to be obsessed with, but I just love his laugh. <laughs> just how like shocked he is when they, you know, um, talk about dragging him from a car because he sat on their friend's car. <laughs> and very, very funny. Yeah. I also like the bit with, um, again, it's towards the end with, um, with Terry and um, with... Um, what's your candy cut what's your debbie um oh debbie yes. like, <laughs> I, I think she was academy award nominated wasn't she for this she year. was yeah and she and her boyfriend campaigned for it but she was so good she deserved she's it so good and she's like you know and all after all these mishaps with with terry and she's like I had a great night. You know, we got some hard stuff. <laughs> you know, we had the car stolen. That's so you get got sick. sick. <laughs> you know, you got into a fight. You know, yes. I had a great time. Yeah, let's let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> and I know. It's sweet. It's like something really sweet about it. It really um, is. Yes. And I just, I just like the dynamics because even you have there are no. There are no like, I mean, in, in certain teenage films, you're used to having like the bad guy, you know, the, the bullies and and you know the you know this is a bad dude and and things. Yeah. But in this, you you don't really. And I mean, because Terry is kind of the, the nerd character, obviously mm-hmm. t- Terry the Toad. <laughs> toad yes. They, they <laughs> um, but even with someone like John, who who would be in any other like film would probably be picking on him and yeah he's no. not he comes and helps him out you know when when terry's getting beaten up and um you know they have like really nice you know ex- you know kind of dynamics between them um even harrison falls you know because he's this arrogant yeah you know, driver wants to challenge this texan racer who wants to challenge John because John's got the bitch in his car in the valley and yes. no one's beating John Milner because John Milner is you know the king of the valley and and even like when the final race happens there's you know camaraderie kind of, yeah yeah and you you know there's no kind of and you see finally you see John John he's so kind of you know he, he knows he's the best he knows he's got the best car and you see him go no you know I, you know, I was losing, I was losing, you know, he could have had me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Terry, and it's Terry who's like, no, no, you've got, you know, you've got the best car, you know, you've got the bitch in this car in the valley, John, you know, you've you got this, no one's going to beat you. I know. And, um, and then, John, you know, it's sweet. And then, John, you know, we'll, you know, we'll take them all. And then that coda. <laughs> the I know. I was really noticing that this time. I'm like, those yeah. two together at the end, how perfect is that? And I guess yeah. they improvise that scene, which is crazy. But it's, wow. Yeah, it is really perfect. And even like eerie moments when, um, and, um, uh, what's she called? Um, Mackenzie. Um, I forget. Um, what's it? Sorry, Mackenzie Phillips. And, oh, Carol. Uh, 
Oh, Carol, sorry, thank you. Um, and Paul and Matt, when he takes her to the junkyard, like the car junkyard. Yeah, and to walk her around. around. <laughs> and there's like their conversation then, it's like quite precognitive and it's it's a little yeah. bit eerie and they're talking about, you know, certain things of the era. He's talking to her about certain things of the era. And, you know, rock and roll has been going downhill since Buddy Holly died. And, yeah. you know, certain things he says to her. And when you've seen this film a few times, as we have, you that kind of takes on another mm-hmm. layer. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah. so many moments in this, potted in this film that, like, obviously we're just, we've seen it so many times, we probably, you know, jump on them more than someone who's obviously watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a film, it doesn't, I think the impact of it just increases on every viewing. And I think it does. I, yeah. You appreciate it more, I think, because um, on every viewing, I don't think it loses anything at all. And I don't think, I don't think there's any bad moments in it. I don't think there's anything necessarily that would that seem redundant. Mm-hmm. I think everything works. I think everything is in there for a reason. Um, I just think it is a a really, really, really great film. And I don't know. I'm sure people have their their issues with it because obviously <laughs> someone's going to have their issues with it. Oh but yeah. I think for what it is, I, I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful film. So. I love it too. And you hit the nail right on the head. It was such a good observation about how every time you see it, you appreciate it more. We were also talking off air about the number of characters and especially Dazed and Confused. But this is another one. There are so many characters that the more you watch these movies, the more then you pick up on the little subplots and the interplay. And one of my favorite things about this, as well as Dazed and Confused, is you see the characters you wouldn't maybe normally expect to hang out together, um, yeah. bonding, especially like Paula Matt is saddled with, uh, he's kind of tricked into driving <laughs> around this. She was really 12 in real life, but I think she's playing maybe a freshman or a 14 year old girl there. But, um, but still he's driving around. He's like in his early twenties, this kid, which could be creepy in any other movie, but, I think because she's like a wide-eyed, uh, innocent, but she's also kind of a kidder, he's able to tell her things like exactly what you were saying about Buddy Holly's uh, death and just um, kind of school her in on, you know, it kind of reminds me of that scene in Almost Famous when um, he meets uh, Phil Seymour Hoffman at the beginning. Mm. He's like, you're getting at the last gasp of rock and roll, you know? Yeah. And so like this cynical older guy kind of telling the kid that and the kid doesn't even care because, you know, it's all new to them. I love that. I also think it's interesting the the difference in the characters. I heard that George Lucas kind of modeled um, the four main ones after like different periods in his life. Like Toad was maybe what he was like when he was a freshman in high school I can't remember when he was Steve, the Ron Howard character, but he did say that Paul Lamatt was who he was when he was going to junior college where he almost died getting into like a car accident because he was like hot rodder or wannabe hot rodder. And he was thinking he was going to be a mechanic. And then in film school, he became Kurt, uh, the Richard Dreyfuss character. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea too. Yeah. 
that's a really nice way to, <laughs> to yeah. put your characters yeah I, w- I remember um a couple of years ago I, I did like a for Magnum I did a um in a, um an on set because Dennis Stock wrote um the photographer Dennis Stock took some on set photographs of oh, cool during the filming and even like during the filming you get the sense of there's this one moment when you know Richard Dreyfus is like is in his you know I think he was in the 2CV at the time and he's like looking out the window and you and Ron Howard and then another one with Ron Howard like just glancing and you get the sense that these like young you know they were in their 20s at the time and they're playing teenagers and they get you know you get this feeling that there's something on the precipice it's like they realize in some respects you know is this you know there's something here there's something yeah you know they, they looked it's a, re- it's a really nice um on set images and even the behind the scenes they look like they could have been included in the film <laughs> it just has that that kind that of aura to it. yeah yeah just some really nice some really nice shots oh cool you're gonna have to let me know about that piece and I'll link to it when I post this so that way everyone can check it out yeah (laughs) that's wonderful was there anything else about American Graffiti I know we talked about we were like oh my gosh we could do a whole podcast on it who knows we might revisit this later but is there anything else you want to add on this one um not really I think I think, I think we, we covered said it. it. Yeah. I think we covered it just that we love this film so much and we can yes. just <laughs> everybody check it out. out. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's a perfect film, basically. And that's what you need to know. Yes. Well, we go from American graffiti to a film directly inspired by it. In fact, the one sentence pitch of American graffiti for the 70s is basically what got slacker writer director Richard Linklater's second film, Dazed and Confused, made taking that idea and expanding upon it to tell the studio what types of characters, feelings, and memories he wanted to evoke. He eventually wrote his script for what he likened to a half-independent, half-studio or Hollywood venture and filled his movie set over the course of the last day of school in 1976 overnight into the morning with over a dozen great unknowns. These were actors who would shortly thereafter hit it big like Matthew McConaughey, Ben Affleck, Parker Posey, Joey Lauren Adams, Mila Jovovich, and more. In fact, the biggest stars in the movie when it was made were Jason London and Anthony Rapp. But all of that was about to change. Though not a hit at the box office, the film quickly became a cult classic on video, tapping right into the 90s nostalgia for the 70s, kind of like American Graffiti and Happy Days, tapped into the nostalgia for an earlier time. Dazed and Confused also helped foreshadow the popularity of teen movies again in the second half of the 90s after they'd fallen briefly out of fashion post-Brat Pack, featuring a soundtrack just loaded with great music to the point that not one but two albums were released, which echoed the double album release of American Graffiti, Dazed and Confused is a whole lot of fun, and perhaps just like the film that inspired it, still successful to this day as something that feels more timeless than dated because it was both a period work and something that also fit in with the indie sensibility of the era that produced it. So what are your thoughts on this one? I hadn't seen this for about 
probably about 15 years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Such a long time. And I've watched it twice in the last week. It's so fun. And it's so good. And it's not American graffiti. It owes a lot to American graffiti. Yeah, exactly. But it's different. It's different. And it knows it's not American graffiti. Mm -hmm. So it, it does its own thing. It's a different era for one thing. And you can't make an imitation of American graffiti if it's in a different era. Um, again, it's, I loved it. I loved the soundtrack. I loved the, the interplay between the characters. Um, it's very, you know, there's some really funny moments. Matthew McConaughey's being Matthew McConaughey <laughs> in this <Yes>. film. <laughs> so he just wandered on set and did his thing. And, you know, he just has that. Um, I also, you know, there's all night cruising. There's another hot rod. It's not as good as, you know. I know. Too, but <laughs> but it's, it's cool. It's, not, it's cool. You know, there's another diner. It's not Mel's diner, but there's a diner and there's drive-in restaurants and mm-hmm. there's an auto shop. Um, it's a bit more, um, I don't want to say meaner in some respects, but, you you know, you have. Definitely that, grittier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have the hazing, which isn't, it's not like the thing with the ketchup and the mustard. It's not you know extreme yeah. but it's still some but the sort paddles of, yeah the paddles are kind of vicious and yeah you know Ben Affleck running ground with the paddle <laughs> um, I know yeah I remember the first time I saw that movie this movie I was like how is this a comedy like it scared me too much because I was too young for it but then as I got older I you know realized what they were doing but yeah it, <laughs> it's funny that it kind of it starts as a high school movie, yeah. And then it go. It's kind of a high school stoner comedy, and then it yeah. into this, yeah. And then it kind of goes into this, you know, nostalgia all night thing with yeah. with more warmth to it. And that's something obviously American graffiti has. It's got so much warmth to it. And this one, it has warmth, but it. I don't know if it's got the you know at the beginning it kind of lacks that, and then all of a sudden something seems to switch and it just turns on the the warmth and the empathy and it does yeah. it in such a subtle way and you're just like oh something's changed and you don't notice when it changes but something like the vibe of, of it has changed mm-hmm. um yeah it and builds mm-hmm. yeah and again it's such a perfect soundtrack you know it yeah Aerosmith you know Sweet Emotion and that you know from toys in the attic and that's a really great album and it is they they have all this you know and it has you know schools out alice cooper so it has all these really good 70s Mm -hmm. hits um it's i i also see you know they're going to you know get the tickets for the aerosmith concert and um i see so much how this has influenced detroit rock city oh yeah i love that's a that great film. observation yeah like, it's not I know Detroit Rock City isn't the best like the mm-hmm. best film because some you know it has certain things that it's quite a cruel film at times it can be yeah. quite crude at times and I I found that when I re-watched it recently even though I love it I love Detroit Rock City um but you have even like the stoner character trip in Detroit Rock City um I think is it James James Martino is played by, I think, I forget the actor's name. Um, you have the Sony character trip and 
you um you know obviously you have the, the stoner character in, in Dazed and Confused and I see so much similarity there mm-hmm. um in Detroit you know the the whole thing is you know getting tickets for you know going to this Kiss concert and this yeah. one begins with Aerosmith and this one ends with them going to you know get the tickets for the Aerosmith concert so there is a lot of similarity in that respect um I just think it's it also again there is a sweetness with how the characters interact like there is you know you, you get the characters interact who as you say in American graffiti wouldn't usually in probably in high school avoid each other or yeah the, you know, don't mix you know you have the the cliques um and in this one you have more that integration but mm-hmm. there's so much going on there's so many subplots there's so much um you know even the costumes are great it just looks great this film does it's again it it's it's a nostalgia trip but it's for a different era and we don't always what you know it's nice to to visit different eras different you know years when when we watch something that is nostalgic you know we don't always want to watch films based on you know the the uh, 60s or just based on the 70s but it's just nice to have this you know, we've got American Graffiti, which did, you know, did what it did perfectly. And then Days and Confused is such a good example of the, the 70s. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a time, it's like a, a time capsule in a way. But I know it's not, you know, completely accurate because everyone's yes. <laughs> memories of the 70s will vary depending where you're from or where you grew up. Um, but in terms of music, in terms of music-driven films, in terms of... Um, how it uses music again it's it's a really really effective really fun film and I really like it a lot yeah you used a really good phrase earlier when you talked about I think it was American Graffiti as lightning in a bottle that's kind of exactly what this is as well it seems to be a really good collaboration of director and star Uh, He wrote the film, but he also left it really open for actors. Like, what do you think? What do you think they should say right now? And so used a lot of input from the cast. And some of them even wrote little scenes. Some of them were cut out of the movie. Uh, Like Parker Posey wanted to write a scene with Joey Lauren Adams because they became really close. That got left out. That's on the Criterion disc. And it's really cute. And you know, there's a lot of great stuff there. It's also a cool kind of look back at his evolution as a filmmaker, Linklater, from Slacker, which had, oh, it was part of my film school paper. I want to say it was um, like over 25 different characters that we followed, or was it over 50, something like that, that we followed over the course of Slacker, and it didn't really have a plot. It just kind of meandered, went from one character to the next. And so this was more focused. We still have like over a dozen characters here, but it's more focused. So it's kind of like he weaned that down into something a little more palatable, um, gave some storytelling, like an arc to it. And I love that. You also talked about of the time. And so it does kind of marry the 90s with the 70s. And watching it again, I started to realize when I was in high school, Everything was all about the boot cut and the flare and the extreme flare jeans. And it was like 
about 96, 97 is when that stuff started to get really big, the extreme flair. And it was kind of the hippie wear. And I was wondering if this movie, especially on video, it became like the thing, if that kind of led to this fashion craze of the seventies, or maybe it's just the natural order of things is you hate the era that you're in just like they hate the seventies, like they're in it and they're making like the seventies sucks and the eighties will be awesome. It's such a great line. Yeah, Something like that. Radical. Yes. Like radical. That. Yeah. <laughs> and so everyone hates the era that they're in. And then they have this weird nostalgia for an earlier time that they weren't involved in. Like everybody started listening to Led Zeppelin again in the, in the nineties, like that was the thing. And so in nineties music kind of came back in the um, early or the early aughts or the early tens. And so I think we're always looking for an earlier time. And so this hit perfectly with those sentiments and it's just such a good film. I love this cast. I love that the, casting director of it was the casting director of fast times at ridgemont high so which is another great you know hangout movie and good soundtrack and all of it and links to cameron crow and amy heckerling which is perfect because they're kind of the masters of this genre as well so a lot of overlapping a lot of good collaboration and it's just a fun film yeah it's interesting when you say about the uh when this came out that seemed to be the when the the fashion came around again because I do remember I don't know if it had the same I can't remember if it had the same effect here at the time when it came out but I just I do remember like flares really came back and a lot of people wearing kind of either bootcut or flares and crochet and yeah peasant blouses yeah yes that was like I really remember that from from school as well um it just see it sometimes sometimes it's just so subtle the way you think these these things happen and at at the time you're not paying that much Uh attention and then you're like well hang on a second maybe that (laughs) was it and now you said it um because yeah now now I think about it that seemed to be seemed to be quite a thing um especially in my school where there were quite few people who were you know interested in, <laughs> in things like that everyone was kind of you know a bit more on the straight and narrow so when you saw gotcha. it, it was like well hang on a sex someone is you know sense in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah what is going on so it's yeah that's really interesting yeah, yeah it's, I, a fun, it's a fun film it's a good film it's just a, an easy film yes. to watch I mean it's it's some it's not gonna you know it's nice to watch something meaty but at the, at the, you know there are times when you just want to put on something and it's and it's enjoyable and it's just you know it's a good film there's just you know it, it's still it's still gonna hook you in it's still gonna keep you intrigued Um, Yeah. And these people just feel like, you know, them kind of the same experience of American graffiti. Somebody did interact with me. I can't remember which social media or if it was now, but I remember someone pointing out the, the fact that some of the song usages are a little on the nose. I mean, no more Mr. (laughs) Nice Guy with the beating with the paddles. And um, there are some moments like that. uh, But I just, I think it's just a really great 
it's kind of maybe winking or it lets you in on the joke when you do have stuff like that a little bit like um yeah fox on the run uh (laughs) they are using these songs at certain times um and yeah you know it's it's interesting um yeah yeah. (laughs) detroit rock city does that as well there's one bit where um yeah, um, there's a scene, and um, you have like the the rockers, you know, who are like these four kids. One of you know, one of them is Edward Furlong, and then you have like the disco, <laughs> the disco <laughs> car, and it, one of the girls is Natasha Leon, and you know, there's the there's this altercation, and you know, they want to kind of beat up <laughs> Edward Furlong, mm-hmm. and Edward Furlong sort of pulls off his chain and as he pulls off his chain to sort of beat up these these you know disco guys who think they're in, you know, <laughs> Saturday you know Saturday night fever iron black sabbath iron man plays and Edward Furlong lights a cigarette and gets this look on his face like I'm gonna pummel you now and it's quite on the nose but it's really funny at the same time yeah. and I think this is what a days does very um days does and I think obviously when when I when I say it takes cues from that and you can see how it it did set like like you said before American graffiti set a precedent and and this has also set a precedent for for these type of um for yeah. certain seats. yeah and just it, saying that it made me think of that movie SLC Punk a little bit with the way oh, that used that. movies or used music I was like <laughs> reading my Wikipedia page at the same time <laughs> yes the way it used music at times it was kind of linking Empire Records of course uh Gross Point Blank um yeah. High Fidelity uh yeah. the way it used <laughs> certain songs at certain times um yeah just so you know sometimes if you are commenting on the action it is on the nose, but you know, it can be done interestingly. And I think Days and Confused really pulls that off and maybe helped inspire some of these other ones. Yeah. I I don't think there's anything like wrong with being on the nose, but I think if you're gonna do it, do, do it, it right. well. Yeah. Do it right. <laughs> do it well. Do it in a way that doesn't feel gratuitous do it so you're yes. like, okay, I get the joke. Now this is funny, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You you don't want to just put it in there for the sake of it and and I think this is you know one of the reasons why it works so well in in this instance is because it works it's done smartly it's done you know is is there is you know thought behind it it's not Mm -hmm. like this song has got you know it's called this we're just gonna chuck it in now everything is very very um it seems very neatly done mm-hmm. even though even it, it might be on the nose but it's done well at the same time so I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. no and what's great about these is you could also call these musicals <clears throat> like yeah when they were building and trying to recruit actors for American Graffiti Ron Howard shared on the documentary that's included in the disc um, that when he first came in he heard it was a musical and George Lucas is like well yes it is he said but I don't sing And he's like, that's fine. And, you know, it's not that kind of musical or he wasn't sure. He thought he didn't get the role because he couldn't sing. But the music is commenting just like a musical would, you know, singing in the rain. He's singing in the rain. So 
yeah, just use it well. And these films really do. And I think that's why they've lived this long in our consciousness. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, they don't seem to date. They just No, you know, they again, don't. Like that's say, perfect. No, yeah. And and it's like you say with American Beauty, you just every time you watch it, you gain you feel like you've you've got more insight into it or you see something new. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the hallmark of a good film really, that you want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not fed up with it. It doesn't seem to date even though it's set. No. Even though you think, oh, it's a nostalgic trip, but it's you know, it's good. We need that now. <laughs> I think we need something. We need these films. It's also a film of happy accidents. Like, yeah. um, you know, American Graffiti, Charles Martin Smith tells a story about how um, George Lucas kind of was using the messiest takes or the flubbed lines or like uh, he, he was the beginning, lamenting. isn't it? Wasn't yes. it like the beginning on the scooter? He saw on the scooter he when he slammed in the bells. Yes. yes. It went over the curb and he kept waiting for him to yell cut. And he didn't yell cut. And he's like, okay. But the scene where um, they steal the pint of old helper or old Harper's, the guy in the, in the store with the robbery, every time they were doing this take, he would throw the bottle and Charles was catching it every time. And then the one time that he almost dropped the bottle or he caught it too late, Lucas was like cut print like that was the one he was using and stuff like that and so it was almost like be careful because if you mess up that's what he's going to use and this movie is also dazed and confused kind of happy accidents like uh, they were realizing who they had and what gold they had with Matthew McConaughey like he was barely supposed to be in it he was a film student who just happened to be at a bar uh, the night that the casting director was there and the bartender who was a friend was like, hey, he cast Sean Penn in Fast Times. And McConaughey was like a film student and interested. And so I'm going to go talk to this guy, just like pick his brain. But they just started talking about life and everything. And so he brought in McConaughey and the more they hung around him, the more they were like, we just have to keep building in scenes for him because he's so good. So the first time I watched this, I just thought he was supposed to be the Milner. And so it's kind of cool that, no, they just kept adding in new things for him to say, like, wait a minute, how did the nerds know about the party? We'll have them run into McConaughey and tell them about the party, (laughs) like stuff like that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting the way, um, again, comparing it to American Graffiti, it's how obviously this, Austin is such like a, a you know this film character. is set in Austin and they reference yeah it's another character and the you know they they say about they talk about being in this city and in American Graffiti you have it's set in um, De- Modesto yeah. and so they have this whole thing about getting out of this town and and so yes. the, <laughs> the where they are location is such a an elemental um part of these films you know they're very specific they well the films have been even though i know they they might not be accurate representations of where they're set um but again the, the they're so intrinsic to these films that like they're so rooted in 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 their location and it's another character yeah Absolutely. And it's interesting, all the films we're talking about, either they're set in Texas or California, kind of the western half of uh, the wilder part of the country, essentially. So, yeah, Yeah. 
is there anything else you want to add about um, Dazed and Confused or should we move to Reality Bites? Um, I think we can move on because I think we've, we've, we've covered. already covered it. Yeah. yeah. Well, a little over a decade after he produced Lawrence Kasdan's Zeitgeist Look at Boomer Regret and Middle-Aged Angst, The Big Chill, producer Michael Schamberg found a new voice that seemed to be echoing the same fears, joys, and anxieties for people in their 20s in a spec script called Blue Bayou by Helen Childress. Listening to her talk about her life and her friends and how hard it was to find employment post-college in the middle of a recession, he tasked her to develop this into a project she wrote and revised over three years called Reality Bites, bringing aboard producer Stacey Scher and eventually recruiting Ben Stiller. Fresh off the Ben Stiller show to direct the film, Reality Bites soon got underway with a phenomenal cast of, again, just like the last two pictures, some new or relatively new faces like Steve Zahn and Janine Garofalo who were about to make it big and two talented movie stars, Winona Ryder for whom Childress essentially wrote the role of Lillian Pierce and Ethan Hawke who revealed was essentially Winona Ryder's pick for the role of uh, her protagonist love interest, Troy and casting um, Ethan Hawke was a, she was it was contingent in her being in the film featuring ben stiller as well as the slightly older far more together other part of the main romantic love triangle as well as a very of the moment soundtrack and a few throwback songs that the film made insanely popular once again like my sharona while it admittedly feels more mick gen x mtv or slightly manufactured than perhaps a real portrait of the era in my eyes um, as someone who remembers that time pretty well, this 94 movie is still a whole lot of fun, elevated by its top-notch cast and refreshing for centering the action of one of these generational coming-of-age hangout movies around a woman for once, thank goodness. I would love to hear your thoughts on Reality Bites. I think you've hit the nail on the head because, like you said, it feels more manufactured than the, mm-hmm. than the previous two. Um, it. The, I mean, I remember when this came out, I remember watching yeah. it either, I don't know if it was when it came out, getting it from the video store or or slightly after. But I yeah. I, really, I, re- I remember it was funny because I watched it and I watched it quite maybe a few times in the 90s and I didn't watch it for a while. Mm-hmm. And every time I thought about it, I remembered the music more than I did the film itself more than like the the details of the plot I mean I remember it was about you know the four friends and and yeah. you know, obviously finishing um college and going out into the the world and you know you know getting by but I remember more if you if you say reality bites me I think of the Lisa Loeb song yes. today <laughs> and oh, I, think I love like, the Lisa Loeb yeah. song yes I think Ethan Hawke directed the video didn't he for that. he did I, yeah yeah because when they like they grow in the same theater group or, or something like that I think it was um, her like they were neighbors too it was crazy yeah. yeah so I really remember I remember that video was everywhere in the 90s oh they played it again and again on mtv and (laughs) yes i mean i don't think we didn't get mtv at home until like we missed like because we didn't get like 
Sky TV until the sort of millennium, I don't think, for just for just reason like we didn't really need it kind of thing. It wasn't gotcha. like yeah. it. it was just like but it was on everywhere. It was on the we had the um we had like the terrestrial channels and they had you had top of the pops and you used to have the chart show on a Saturday morning. Of course. And there were a couple of um you know other channels that you had like music shows. And I remember like from for like the entire summer, just this song dominating everything. I remember going to see my grand, you know, one one summer going to visit my grandparents in Italy and on the on the Italian TV music station they were playing this song and it was just <laughs> everywhere. But it's a good song. Um I I still like it a lot. And I, I think yeah. it's like, great. I remember Baby I Love Your Way and <laughs> Big was it Big Mountain who did the cover of Baby I Love Your Way? You know what's so funny? I was uh, watching a little bit of High Fidelity this morning because I've kind of been yes. just, you know, awash in all of these movies and like rewatched uh, Saint Almost Fire last night, which you know is not the greatest, but yeah, I just started watching a bunch of these. And Baby I Love Your Way is in you know High Fidelity too, and I just thought that's perfect again these 90s movies that are kind of in love with the past yeah yeah and um I just I I think it's I don't know if I've got kind of you know I like this film sometimes sometimes I really really enjoy it when I watch yeah. it other times I'm a bit more indifferent to it there mm-hmm. are certain things I really like I think Ethan Hawke is fantastic in this absolutely yeah I think he really I think he's a very smart actor Yes. And I think he's a very smart actor. Um, I think he's really, he's a very intelligent guy. And I think he really understands, like, Uh when he does the character, he understands who this character is. And so I think he really gets that role. And he is just this very kind of, you know, sardonic, cynical guy. And then there are these cracks of vulnerability that you, you you get glimpses of but mm-hmm. then they're gone in an instant and then you see that at the end um but um I you know I just remember it it feels very MTV as a film it I does. mean it feels yeah it was around it the time me, of the real world and, that's yeah, yeah like <laughs> there had to be some because when obviously then you know the the, the net you know Beneflex character like the network executive did MTV have have any um you know say in this was do you know yeah, I don't know actually but that would be interesting like yeah I know this whole thing with the you know the, the reality bite show and it, that is the real world surely because I remember the real world always being on during school holidays on channel four we oh, used to have gotcha. like a series of shows on that were kind of MTV shows, but they were on terrestrial television during school holidays. So I just remember watching like the real world and, and things I know. like that. Yeah, it's so, like I didn't like the characters or the people. Yeah. I say characters because they were kind of playing, you know, extreme yeah. versions of themselves. But but you just kept it's watching it. And yeah, it's addictive. Really- yeah, I think it's funny. Um, future generations uh, lear- learning about reality bites. Like I saw it when it was new, but yeah. newer um, generations thought that the title just meant reality sucks. And you know, it was written during the um, 
Clinton campaign for president when they kept talking about the phrase sound bites. I think it was Stephanopoulos, uh, like everything was sound bite around that time. Yeah. And so this was, you know, bites of reality, or that's what it was meant to be. But future generations just thought it was more cynical, like, oh, reality sucks. And so, yeah. you know, it could mean that too. I mean, it wasn't the intent, but I also think it's really funny. I watched an interview with um, Childress where she was talking about, uh, you know, she likes it still, but she's saying it was obviously written uh, from the point of view of somebody in their early 20s. You know, it's very solipsistic and these characters aren't very likable. She said, now that I'm a little bit older, I'm watching it going, you know, the best character is the one that's more together. Like I wrote him as a yuppie, but he's kind of the person where, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's just trying to get by in the world. And yeah. uh, I thought that was funny too. Cause you know, when you first watch this, you're like, well, he's the enemy, you know, cause you're young. And he, I like the ideas it brings up about art versus commerce. And all of these are great romantic ideas. And then as you get older, it's like, well, I have to pay the bills, I guess. Yeah. And then um, yeah. You think that when you when she gets fired from, you know, because she's like doesn't want to sacrifice <laughs> her art because yes. she's a corporate American, you know, and then you're like, you know, you've got bills, you know, <laughs> you're so, you know. I know. So, unfortunately, we have to like do certain jobs that we don't want to do I or know. like yes. take certain things because they pay. And it's at the same <laughs> time, you know, we want to maintain our, our you know. Uh, sort of you know uh, artistic you know kind of yeah. and you know we don't want to jeopardize our you know what yeah our, uh, <laughs> like I get a free BMW for. and I'm like yeah. mad about it <laughs> exactly. so yeah some it's of it's a little <laughs> I like her as a character but yeah a couple times you're like oh Lena I know it was um, attracting Winona to it. And I love that she did this. She was um, on the set of the House of the Spirits in Portugal. And um, I had read that she kind of had a breakdown making that like mentally, because it's just such an exhausting film. And mm -hmm. she'd been playing all these period things back to back that were really heavy. And she's like, I just wanted to wear jeans and like, mm -hmm. you know, be somebody closer to my own age. Um, I mean, not that she was playing older, but like, my own era, I should say, or somebody a little more modern. But she said when she did this and then did um, Little Women, she was surprised by how much the two characters had in common, these artistic sensibilities of, wait a minute, I want to do this, but maybe I should be doing something else. Like, you know, mm -hmm. Joe needing to learn to write from her heart more. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting, like, wow, this could be a double feature with Little Women. Yeah, it's <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yes, no. And I, I really like um, because we think of this more like an Ethan Hawke, Winona yeah. vehicle, and uh, obviously Gian Garofalo is fantastic. Oh, um, I love her in this. Yeah, she is so good. And but Steve Zahn's amazing. He doesn't have that like massive. I think he steals it role, every scene he's in. He does. Yeah. Is he is absolutely brilliant in this. And I think it's so nice that he is obviously in White Lotus now and doing like this great yeah. show. He's so he is so good in this. And I think it's a shame we don't really we don't think of him along, you know, even though we he is in the main cast, he isn't the main 
one in the film and I don't know if he has fewer scenes as well it feels like he has fewer scenes he does um, yeah I guess he was in a play with Ethan Hawke and um Ben Stiller like met him through that or he was friends with Ethan and just thought yeah let's put him in there like also when you're casting a group of friends it helps that people know each other so that's why you know Ben had Janine in there um if it helps to work together but I love Steve Zahn and you know talking about the 90s I'm getting really nostalgic and people are listening like how old is she no (laughs) but anyway um what's so great about Steve Zahn in this era is I made that comment on Twitter like I'm watching Reality Bites and Steve Zahn you know is maybe the best thing in the movie Mm. and I mean as great as everyone else is every time he was on he was breaking my heart and I said that and someone was like well name a movie where he isn't you know the best thing and I thought he really he's the memorable one or he's the part of the Mm. ensemble that your eye goes to like in uh, that thing you do it's Steve Zahn's line about you know a guy in the camper and some of his jokes just kill you and then Out of Sight was just such a good movie Uh, I always think it's like Don Cheadle and Steve Zahn that kind of steal that movie and yeah it's Steve again and again and so I like that he's been steadily working but I do agree with you that was a great um observation I think we don't appreciate Steve's on on that level unfortunately and he has that I really like that scene when he tells his yeah mom that he's he's gay and he's sitting outside the house and he just says oh yeah I just want to be let back in the house and it's just like it could be a it could be a throwaway line any other thing and if any of the characters said it, it could have been a throwaway line but obviously for his character it's something so huge and then he sort of you know, puts his you know, head in his hands just for like a split second and then the scene yeah. cuts but it's it's just such a huge huge like impact just that time you know just that that small moment but it's not a small moment it's just no it reminds me how young these people are because they're living at yeah. home and yeah trying to figure out um, who they are and start their lives and they need to be honest with themselves or honest with everyone else about everything yeah and even that scene with um with Vicky with Jan Graffalo and um she's you know she's having the AIDS test and Mm -hmm. she's very you know she has that book where she notes down every guy she slept with and she's she's in the 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 waiting room she's holding that book and then she's like you know, talking because um, you know, we don't know um characters filming filming everything. And then she kind of, you know, looks like bites her nails and you know, just yeah. looks terrified, just really looks. It's like, okay, I I can't keep up this this, you know, pretense of not being yeah being too cool this facade yeah and because I am I'm really scared about this and then obviously they have a conversation I think they had the conversation about it afterwards and about her being you know were you know hearing these results but um yeah they're these these small scenes and they really are you know massive but and they're really like important in this film, but we obviously think of this love triangle. We think, yeah, you think triangle. primarily about those things, but I, I think these little, exactly what you're saying, these little elements of human behavior that kind of add some authenticity to some of the phoniness. It yes. it helps it, yeah, definitely. And I think they're the moments that ground the film, and and rather than keep the film 
yeah, just making it a co- just all of it feeling like manufactured or foamy yeah. or just grating. Um, because there were some bits when you're just thinking, okay, this bit's annoying me a little bit. <laughs> this action is annoying yeah. me a little bit. Or, um, but you watch and you think, was everyone's? You know, we we lived through the nineties. We're sort of of the age to remember the nineties very mm-hmm. well. And you think, was everyone so cynical then? And it's just one of these things that you think, well, was everyone as cynical? Back then? So <laughs> I don't remember cynical. everyone, but yeah, there was yeah. the grunge era of yes. not wanting to turn into the boomers. Essentially, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Again, that panic of there's both like a, a nostalgia for the past, but also the panic of I mean, as encapsulated by the brat pack, you know, like yes. when you grow up, your heart dies or you become your parents, essentially the lines in the breakfast club and, and yeah. talk about generational hangout music movies. I mean, yeah, the, all the John Hughes films, the Cameron Crowe movies, you know, yeah. Reality Bites was a bold thing to be released because it came right after singles, which was so yeah. not a hit at all. Like, you know, Say Anything was a huge hit for Cameron Crowe and a mm. critical darling and then singles came out and it just kind of was a dud I mean I think that one has picked up momentum on video sort of like days and confused kind of like all of these movies video really helped elevate them and turn some of these into cult classics even though reality bites was a modest hit but it definitely wasn't a huge one uh talk about the music we mentioned Lisa Loeb of course but I love the way that um U2 uh, song is used toward mm-hmm. the end. I mean, this does feel in places like a music video, like the Mariah Sharona. I think they might have even made a music video around the time, like redid that song and put it on MTV with them dancing around in the gas station. <laughs> and oh, so, a bit like um, Friends did for the, you know, the, the when Friends was released. Oh, yeah, with Friends. Season. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, exactly. And so, um, but the the scene at the end with Ethan Hawke and uh, Winona, you know, trying to frantically find each other, go through things as Troy's mm. dad dies. Uh, and it's, you know, very sad and it's off screen and just having to grow up a little bit. And then the yeah. song playing was so moving, I thought. Yeah, it works very, very well in, in, in this instance, because obviously it's just a phone call and he doesn't say anything and you just yep. have this this trap playing and it is very affecting yeah. yeah but wasn't it wasn't it um it wasn't meant to be as much of a, a love triangle and benefleck like and benefleck sorry and ben stiller um boost like i think you're right up. yeah it was like um vicky and steve zahn's character i'm blanking on the name um were supposed to play a bigger role like it was really supposed okay. to be more of an ensemble thing and i think ben stiller was thinking you know, it doesn't fully work that way because we can't pay enough attention to this many characters. So let's anchor it with this love story. And mm-hmm. part of me wants to know, maybe maybe it would have been more interesting if we learned more about Zahn and uh, Garofalo. But, you know, it it is what it is. It's still a very fun movie. But yeah, mm-hmm. just like part of me wants to know not to be one of those Snyder cut people because oh my god but you know part of me wants to go back in time and wish I could watch the three-hour cut of American Graffiti that George Lucas wanted to release or three and a half hours um it's like you know usually less is more of course but yeah it, it makes you curious for sure 
I mean, we could start a petition. There's no harm in that. <laughs> yes, release the Lucas cut. But then, yeah. then we might attract the Star Wars people I mean, and it'd be a yeah. whole nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Release the Milner cut. <laughs> yeah, that might be safer. Release the Milner yeah. cut. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh also, going, <laughs> going back to reality rights, I really, um, John Mahoney is great in it. Oh, um, I love him. Yeah, yeah. he is fantastic. He <laughs> good is morning. good morning. Yeah, two he's, words. Yeah, he's just like a terrible, annoying character. He would have been an absolute pain to work for, but he's he was so good in everything. I mean, he's just yes, so good I at this. Him. Yeah, he's he's great. I think everything he does, he is really good. But um. He he just work in this film. He, he just you know, and there's and then obviously there's one scene with um, Anna Mera, who's um, yes, Stiller's ben Stiller's, mom. yeah, um, and she's saying you know when um, let, uh, I keep getting her name. So let, um, is it Lay Layla? Layla. Yeah. Sorry. Um, oh no, you're fine. Yeah, when she's going for the uh, the different job interviews and says, "Oh no, you're overqualified for the, for the <laughs> position," and even like that, you think, "Gosh, how many?" I, I'm sure you've had that as well. People, oh say yeah, you, you're overqualified for this job, and you're just like, "No, please, I just need yeah." This They're like, "You'll be you bored in this job," and it's like, yeah. "I need the job, though." Yes, exactly, and it's just, "Oh no, you know, it's it's just even like." There are some moments of dialogue that that just work really, really very well. well. Yes, but I think Lucy Kurtz is also really good. Yeah, Elena's mom. Oh my god, she just that has that scene. Texas twang. Yes, yes. That scene at the beginning with the dinner with them. Oh yeah, with parents fighting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really, really good. That's really yes, funny. yeah. There there's some good nice elements there. Yeah, yeah. I think just the overall kind of manufactured. Mm-hmm. But I think that detracts from what's um, what the works. Good parts. Yeah. Yes. And I think when we zone in the good parts, we're like, well, actually, this bit's really good. This bit's really good. Yeah. But, um, I think it's just in this like bubble of, um, you know. Yeah. And the cinematography. I mean, that's yeah. Emmanuel Lubeski, <laughs> like oh, fresh wow. off like water for chocolate before he started <laughs> to shoot all of those legendary things for um you know Alfonso Cuaron I can't remember if he'd already done a little princess but my goodness yeah it was a really brilliant thing that uh, uh Ben Stiller collaborated with him on this yeah again it's it's something it's one of these films that I think it your viewpoint of it changes in your 20s and your yes teens, as you age when, yeah yeah like from your teens when when it came when it came out when I think I was about 12 when it came out to when you know in your when you watch it in your 20s and when you watch it in your your 30s as well and and I think it, it's interesting in that respect I think it it's it okay you you see more in in it as you do days than confusing as you would make and appreciate as you would have completed yes. but I think your kind of viewpoint of it shifts as uh, life changes yeah. for you yeah yeah no I noticed that when I was watching uh the big chill the other day it was like wait this is the first time I'm watching this movie in a long time and I'm like I am their age or slightly older for the first time and that was crazy um and then high fidelity is another one like when yeah. you first watch it you're like 
hey, Rob is cool. You know, he's like us. He's a hyper nerd who, and then the more he, you're like, Rob is an asshole. You yes. know? <laughs> and I mean, you kind of got that, of course, with some of those stories the first time you watch it. But the more you watch it, you're like, this guy is a horror show. And so oh, then, um, yeah, you start thinking if a guy tells you he's exactly like Rob or that's his idol, it's like run. But yeah, very funny. <laughs> it's it's really funny because the amount of friends who say they really relate, you know, they yeah. say this character is me. Like, you know, men and like women. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you are not like that at all. No, you you're might nice. have the passion. Yeah, yeah, you might have the passion of of records. And I mean, I think we are we all have that passion to some yes. extent, whether it's music or whether it's film or whether it's art or whatever. We all have this kind of, but we don't go around like saying, okay, you're top five this or you're <laughs> no. an, an absolute or dumping people for really yeah. bad reasons. Or, yes. yes, exactly. And it's yeah. just there is that um yeah, that was. Uh, I think. Thank you for for telling me about the big chill because I hadn't seen it before and oh, I really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, the music yeah. is unbelievable. That's another it's one of those. It was so the first good. soundtrack I was obsessed with as a kid. Like my mom had the tape, and she was really bad infection and was hospitalized for it, like briefly. Mm. And so I had to go over to my aunt's um, for an afternoon. Like my dad was going to sit with her and didn't want to, you know, bring me there and worry mm. about me. And I wasn't close to my aunt. And I remember that whole day just playing the big chill soundtrack like over and over and over. So, yeah, I just was obsessed with all of those songs before I even saw the film. And, yeah, it's it's a good one. I think, you know, people make fun of that movie, but uh, maybe it helps if you're not of like if you're not a boomer, you can kind of appreciate it maybe a little I don't know. Like maybe that's why we're harder on reality bites because that's our era. Maybe I don't know. Possibly. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is possibly because we can say, oh well, you know, the we were there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were there. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that's a really interesting point. But I really, I did it. I enjoyed. It. I think the cast was great and the music. Was, Love the cast. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was a, it was a really nice one. It was a really nice one to include. Um, oh, good! I'm glad you enjoyed it. Because yeah. we kept listing off films. Didn't I we, know we were, that's we, what I was going to say. <laughs> you know, we decided to go with three of these because otherwise, I'd I'd have Sabina here all weekend, and that wouldn't be any fun for her. <laughs> so, um, but for those listening who might want to have themselves a mini at home film festival or just check out some of these movies that. They might have missed. I know we've mentioned a few, but are there any others you want to recommend that people should seek out, like specific ones? Oh, um, I, I mean, we we mentioned almost famous. I think that's obviously like yes, that's yeah, like, like a massive one. Um, I'm trying to think of any other ones, like music specific ones. Um, Nothing at the minute comes to mind. Especially. Yeah, we might have covered them. Yeah, Almost Famous is a great one. I had recently done an episode with Stephanie Crawford on um, music movies for the different decades from the 60s to the 80s. So we actually did uh, that thing you t- do to bring it back okay. to Susan. And we did um, Almost Famous and then Purple Rain, which was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. But, School of um, Rock, maybe. School of Rock. School of Ro- oh, there you go. That's a smart one, too, because that's, um, you know, 
it's Richard Linklater and it's yeah. also uh, Jack Black from High Fidelity and Everybody Wins. Yeah. It's also just a lot of fun and I don't know. Yeah. I enjoy it a lot. Yes. It is really good fun. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's good. And really great music. Um, the kids are so fun. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. they were all musicians, weren't they? They they, they cast a musician. Tales of kids, yeah. Yeah, rather than actors, they went for like music, you know, sort of students. And I think that's that's why it also is is so um so good. And it could have, you know, because when you when you have a music film, it's nice to have you know the actual musicians yes. <laughs> rather than oh, I agree with you. It. Yeah, and it's so good. These are all fresh faces, um, yeah. just kind of like the movies we were mentioning with fresh faces. Yeah. Well, this was so much fun, Sabina. I want to thank you so much for doing this. I could have talked movies with you all day, but I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Of course. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.